Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. copy of God's Word. Once you find the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 is where we're going to be at tonight. If you're new to the Bible, 1 Thessalonians is in the second half of your Bible or the New Testament. We told you this a couple weeks ago, but all the T's are together in the, in the New Testament. So it's kind of helpful if you find Timothy or if you find Titus or you're close to finding 1 Thessalonians. There's actually two letters that were written to this church in Thessalonica. And we're looking at the first one, chapter 3. As you're getting there, um, I just want to kind of divulge to you where I was last week and then some of the conversations that we were having last week, I went on a staff retreat down to Branson. If you've never been to Branson, man, it, it is like, it's pretty awesome down there, right? It's like Christian Vegas in some areas, uh, but we were kind of on the outside of Branson and like by Table Rock Lake, it's beautiful. Well, I was down there with some of the other staff and we start talking about like, um, you know, leadership fails. I don't know if you've ever done this before, like what's some of the stupidest things you've ever done? And uh, so we started having this conversation and they're like, Chad, what are some, you know, what are some leadership fails that you've had in your life? You know, some things that if you could do it over again, you, you would do that differently. And, and I said, well, it's real simple. It's three words, Christian Wrestling Federation. That's the biggest fail in my leadership. And uh, what I mean by that is that when I was a student pastor several years ago, I thought it was a great idea. We were having a big event for me to hire Christian wrestlers. And if you've ever seen a Christian low-budget film and you thought, that could have been better, oh, this was kind of like Christian wrestling too, all right? And so we have like about a 1,000 kids going to come to this event. I'm thinking, man, we're going to do for the first hour, we're going to have a lot of things going on, but one of the main events is going to be live wrestling. And so I meet with these guys, and I didn't ask a lot of questions. You know, maybe a leadership move I should change. I just kind of like, oh, y'all, y'all are Christians and y'all are wrestlers. It'll be great. Y'all show up at this time. It'll be awesome. And uh, what I did know is that I didn't really ask what would y'all be wearing at the Christian Wrestling Federation thing. And I thought, you know, it's Christian. You know, modest is hottest. And I thought that applied to grown men that are middle-aged. So they show up and uh, they start walking around. And mind you, this is like mainly middle school students. So like 12 years old. And then, and then high school students, so 12 to 18-year-olds, and grown men probably around 35 and then older are walking through, it's August in Louisiana, it is hot, they're walking through the crowd, one guy's wearing his Speedo high leather boots, and he's got pistol tattoos right here. I got a picture right here. I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't do that. I didn't know. I didn't. And so, um, like, it polarized the audience, all right? So you had, you had three to 400 kids. These are the kids that lived in homes that have more mileage than their cars. They're, they're around the ring. You'll put that math together. They're around the ring, and they're, like, loving this. And then about, like, three to 400 kids on, on the other side just like, like, ah, get away from me, you know? Like, and the, the wrestlers are walking through the crowd back and forth, back and forth for almost an hour. When I knew it was not a good decision was when I overheard somebody in the ring coaxing the hundreds of kids around the ring to, to start chanting, you suck, you suck. And so hundreds of kids at this youth event are you, you know, while men in their spandex are doing really bad wrestling moves. And uh, uh, the next week at our staff meeting, the senior pastor, who was 65, he just said, um, student ministry guys, um, don't bring the Chippendales back next year. (laughs) 
Now, I'll share that story with you because it's kind of a fun way to get into the subject matter of leadership. And I could go on and on and on about things I've learned that you should not repeat. And Christian Wrestling Federation is one of those things that you probably should just think twice about, maybe ask a few more questions if you're gonna invite them to an event. Uh, But tonight, I don't wanna talk about what you shouldn't do when it comes to leadership. Tonight, I wanna talk about what you should do in order to be a good leader. Now, let me define what I mean by leader because I think this is a little bit of a buzzword that can mean a lot of different things, but here's a simple definition of what a leader is. If you're taking notes, a leader is, is simply someone who has followers. It's pretty profound, right? If you like, I'm a leader, and you look behind you and no one's following, you're not a leader. You're just out for a walk, all right? And a leader is somebody who has followers, and I think every one of you here tonight is a leader in some capacity. First of all, you hopefully are leading yourself and following yourself at the same time. And if you're not effectively leading yourself, then you need to change some things so that you can, first of all, lead yourself well. Others of you, you're leading a household. Now, that doesn't mean that you have a family in your household, but that means that maybe you have some roommates, maybe a dog or a cat or a fish, or maybe just a lot of succulents that are barely hanging on for life, all right? I don't know what it is, but you have something in your household that you're leading, Others of you, maybe you come in here and you're a manager at work and you have a team of people that report to you. You're kind of a big deal, you know, and you're a leader at the office. Uh, Maybe some of you, you're a leader in your church. If you call Abundant Life home, maybe you're serving and what we call people at Paradigm, we don't call you servers, we call you leaders and we say that those things are really one and the same. Or maybe, maybe it's a social media platform. And no doubt, many of you come in here and you have some sort of social media presence and you have followers on social media that you have influence over to some degree or another. I think everyone in the room is leading somebody in some capacity. And I just have a question, are you a good leader? Have you come in here and if you are a leader and you're saying, yes, I understand that, are you a good one? If you're taking notes, I've titled this message, How to Be a Good Leader. How to be a good leader, and I wanna show you seven things from God's word that great leaders do in order to make an impact in the kingdom of God and in this world. Uh, This guy named Paul, he wrote over three quarters of the New Testament, and when it comes to leadership, this guy was a born leader. Some people say, are leaders born or are they made? I say yes. And this guy, Paul, he was a born leader, and he was an effective leader before he ever really started following Christ. What we see in Paul's background, we don't know a lot of his background, but we do know this, that he had convinced people to make it legal for him to go and persecute people that were trying to follow Jesus. That Paul was such an effective leader that he convinced other people to go abuse people that were simply trying to follow Jesus. That Paul, before he ever was a Christian, he was a persecutor of the church. And then we find out in Paul's life that he was changed by Jesus. He was once leading people away from Jesus, and then when Jesus changed Paul's life, he took that leadership acumen that Paul had naturally. He said, we're gonna, we're gonna redeem this thing. And then Paul went from leading people away from Christ to leading people to Christ. Side note, do you lead people away from Christ or to Christ? Anyway, Paul, he starts leading people to Christ and then he starts these churches and then he starts like writing these letters. And so you have this incredible example of what it means to be a great 
godly, biblical leader in Paul. And he's writing this letter to this group of people in Thessalonica. And (laughs) when you read Paul's letters, there are some letters that he's writing to certain groups of people where he's a little bit edgy. You know, and he's a little bit grumpy. And he's like, hey, hey, you need to beware of the dogs, he says in Philippians, because there's some false teachers out there. And he's like, tell them you better buckle up and you better take a stand, stand firm, he says to the Corinthians. Act like men. You know, you like got this edge in Paul. And then he writes to other people and and he's just so, he's so kind and endearing. And he's like, oh, I love you guys. And, and no doubt the people in Thessalonica, these were people that Paul loved to be with. And so in the first chapter, he just like, he is, he's like celebrating the mess out of these people. He's like, man, I see y'all doing this. I see y'all doing this. You keep going. In the second chapter, he gets a little bit nostalgic with them. And he begins to say, man, I remember we got to process the gospel. I remember when you were there and when you were there, we shared our life with you guys. We didn't want to be a burden with you guys. And we helped serve you guys. And God began to change your lives. And then he turns a corner in chapter three. And he says, in light of all of those things, this is why we did the next things that we did. This is why we led the way that we led. And here's where we pick up in 1 Thessalonians 3, starting in chapter or excuse me, starting in verse one. Here's what it says. Therefore, again, a Bible study tip and trick is if you're new to the Bible, you can circle the word therefore, just point an arrow back to everything that just has happened. And so therefore is there because it's saying in light of everything that we just talked about, Therefore, in light of, in light of how, how amazing you are following Christ, in light of the history that we have together in chapter two, he says, therefore, and he goes on, he says, when we could no longer endure it, he's like, man, we couldn't take it any longer. And we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. Point number one, if you're taking notes and you wanna ask the question, what does a great leader do? I wanna be a godly, biblical leader. I wanna be somebody that makes an impact. What do I need to do? Well, the first thing you need to do if you're taking notes, you need to note this, that great leaders, they love people. And so Paul, he's made great leaders. A great leader loves his people. I mean, you see it right here in in verse one. He says, man, when we could no longer endure it, you get this uh, this angst in Paul's voice. He's gonna say it again, I think, in verse five. He's like, man, we couldn't take it any longer. We had to send somebody to you because we love you guys so much. So I get the privilege to, to travel to different churches from time to time, and, uh, and I'll go to places, and like, you know, I'll get to share from God's word, and, and, then, and then for me, it's always, like, uh, it, it's always refreshing when I know I'm going back to Kansas City. And, and I'll talk with my wife about this. We were down in Dallas this weekend. Uh, I was officiating a wedding, and we're like, man, we can't wait to get back home to Kansas City. Like, we love being here. One of my most favorite places to be, and one of my most favorite things to do is to be here with you guys on a Tuesday night. And so, man, I, I, there is something in me that's like, man, I love to lead at Paradigm. I love to be with our young adults. I love to be at Abundant Life. There's, there's, this, there's this, like, giddiness inside of me, like, we can go back home. And, like, I love preaching at that place, and that was awesome, and thanks for this. And I love visiting those folks, and that was awesome, and thanks for that. But I can't wait to get back to Kansas City because God is doing something amazing here in the Midwest, that we're in the heart of the nation seeking to reclaim the heart of a generation. And God is at work in your lives, and it's such an honor to be here. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, man, I, can't, I just love being with you guys. He's like, I, I, I wish I could go. And so Paul, he's like, man, I, I love you guys. Here's a basic leadership principle. You can't lead what you don't love. Makes sense, right? Or, or to say it differently, you can't lead who you don't love. I, I love you guys. I love leading here. 
someone I love more, and as I should, is my wife. And I, I love my wife. I love being with her. I love leading her. I love my little girls, and I love being with them. I love leading them. And you can't lead what you don't love. And if you want to be a great godly leader, you've got to love your people. So Paul, he's showing us what it, what it means to be a good leader. You've got to love your people. He's like, we, could, we couldn't stand it any longer. We had to go check up on you guys. And so he says, we, we sent Timothy to you. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you could write this down, that a, that a great leader, he sacrifices for his people. He sacrifices for his people. Paul, again, he said, man, we thought it would be good to be left alone in, in Athens. He said, we couldn't get to you. And so in, 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 light of our, in light of our absence, we sent the best of the best to you. That Paul's saying, man, I, we thought it was good for us to stay here, so we sent Timothy. And he says, our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. He's like, I couldn't personally come to you, so I sent my best. Um, we looked in chapter one that Paul and Timothy and Silas are all together writing this letter. And if you don't know much about the Bible, Timothy's like Paul's guy. Like, Timothy is like Paul's right hand. Uh, Timothy is like, I mean, like Paul's would say, man, everything good in me, I gave to this guy, Timothy. Timothy, they, they had traveled the world together. They had studied together. Timothy was like Paul's protege. And he says, man, I'm giving you the very best that I know. And I'm giving you and sending you this guy, a brother of mine, a fellow minister. And I'm making a sacrifice by sending you the guy that's my best friend. See, Paul knew that if you're going to be a great leader, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. That sometimes you have to choose to stay here, but you don't just send, you know, the, the JV out. He's like, I'm sending you my best. That Paul knew a basic leadership principle that you can't lead what you don't love, and you can't love something you're not going to sacrifice for. I think sometimes we'll, we'll say things like, oh, I love this. I love that. I love this. I love them. I love being there. I love, I love, I love. And my big question is, then how are you sacrificing for them? Because you can say all day that you love someone. You can say all day that you love someone's. But if you're never willing to sacrifice for them, uh, you don't really love them. Uh, last week I wasn't able to be here, so I sent you a man named Daryl. Didn't Daryl do a good job if you were here last week? Daryl, he, he's one of those guys. Yeah, like I call Daryl the real OG. You know, like, like we'll use that word like he OG, he, she OG, whatever. We'll use that. But Daryl, he's the real OG. What I mean by that is that he was cool in the 70s. He was cool in the 80s. He was cool in the 90s. He was cool in the 2000s. And he's still cool today, right? Like his OG-ness is timeless, all right? And he's up here 70 years old. Makes, I mean, he looks younger than me. I think he has to dye his beard gray just to look old, you know? And I sent him here because he's a guy that is living out biblical leadership, he made a mention of this last week that he's a, he's a group's coach. Uh, one of the things that we value here at Abundant Life is community. You heard Ashley, our MC, talk about that earlier, that we want to help people find Christ and find Christians as well because you can't follow Jesus alone. And so we want to connect people to people, and so we, we value that at our church. Well, consequently, we want to connect those groups with other men and women of God who are wiser, who are further down the road to say, hey, let me be a, a resource for you. Let me be a coach, if you will, someone to encourage you. And so one of the things that we really wrestle with is like, I wish I could coach every group. I wish I could be the pastor that's with everybody, but that's just not realistic. And so we, we have these faithful men of God like Daryl who say, man, I can't be there. I'm going to be in Athens, but I'm going to send you Daryl. <laughs> and Daryl, he's one of these guys that not only did he share with y'all last week, but what he does off the stage is so, so profound and impactful. And Daryl makes big sacrifices. Everybody's retired, but he spends his time investing in the next generation. And if he were here, he would tell you, and it's my delight. 
And Daryl's one of these men that is living out biblical leadership. And listen, if you want to be a good leader, you're going to have to sacrifice some of your time like Daryl's doing. If you're going to be a good leader, you're going to have to sacrifice and say, I'm going to send you my best in light of my absence. And if you want to be a good leader, you're going to have to sacrifice. I think a lot of us, we come in here, when it comes to leadership, we'll listen to the podcast or we'll read the book or we'll go through the Maxwell course or whatever it is. You know, we'll, we'll be like, man, I can't wait to be a leader. I'm going to be a leader, you know, and, and like we, and we'll, I'm a leader. We even say that, you know, we'll put in our, like our bio on, on Instagram, like leader, influencer, you know, we want all that. We want the status, but not everybody wants the sacrifice. Many people want the position of leadership without the pain of leadership, Many people want the role of leadership without the responsibility of leadership. And listen, leadership will always cost you personally. That there's a price to pay to be a leader. But it's a worthy calling and we should embrace it gladly. So Paul, he says, I'm sacrificed. I'm sending you Timothy. He's a great guy. He's going to really encourage you. Well, why did he send Timothy? What did did he tell Timothy to do? Well, it says it right here in verse 2. He says, I sent you Timothy to establish you and to encourage you concerning your faith. He goes on in verse three, he says, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. He's like, don't be surprised by this. He says, for in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we should suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. Point number three, if you wanna be a great leader, you gotta understand that a great leader cares for his people. He cares for his people. And we see that Timothy, he goes on behalf of Paul, and Paul's saying, all right, Timothy, here's the five things I need you to do. I mean, I need you to establish them, encourage them, stabilize them, ready them, and remind them. And so here's five things that you can do to care for somebody. If you want to be a biblical, godly leader, if you want to be a great leader, you've got to care for your people. And here's five ways that you can care for your people from this word of God. It says here that Timothy was sent to, he was sent to establish them. That's the first thing you got to do if you want to care for somebody. Uh, this Greek word established is like you, you put scaffolding around that person. You support that person. Um, you, you, um, um, you buttress, if you know that word, pers- uh, person. You sister board that person, all right? That's some building terms. You help establish them. You help support them. And what he's saying is I sent Timothy to help support you and establish you in God's word. Because you can't grow spiritually if you're not growing scripturally. And if you want to care for somebody, one of the greatest things that you can do is share God's word with that person. And so the second thing that you can do to care for somebody is that you can encourage them. Uh, it says that Timothy was sent to establish them and encourage them concerning their faith. When was the last person, or when was the last time you encouraged somebody? I was talking with our leaders about this earlier, that there's just this tendency for us in life just to be discouraged. Like I don't know if you, if you ever wake up like really optimistic and then you get on your social feed and it just seems like they're trying to sell us disappointment, you know what I'm saying? And you're just doom scrolling, like the world is just, and you're just discouraged in 15 minutes. Like when was the last time you scrolled on your socials and you thought, you know what, I just feel so full and encouraged right now, right? It just has this tendency and then you start driving and Lord knows that's discouraging. You're like, how did they get a license? You know what I'm saying? And is that, is that legal, you know? And, and like there's this tendency just to be discouraged. And so we, as, as leaders, as godly leaders, we should be marked by encouraging people. I mean, I see you trying to live out your faith. I see you trying to be patient. I see you trying to be hope-filled. I see you here. <laughs> when was the last time you just encouraged somebody for making it to church? Some of y'all, you had to, you had to, you had to crawl and claw and fight just to get here tonight. 
And we need to be quick to encourage people instead of saying things like, where you been, man? It's been a while. Like God almost forgot about you. It's been so long. And we don't say it like that, but we oftentimes will discourage people even when they're trying to do the right thing. And God, godly leaders, good leaders, they care for people by establishing them, by encouraging them, and here's the next thing, by stabilizing them. It says here in verse three that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. And it's this idea that a, that a great leader, when they wanna care for somebody, they're, they're stabilizing them. And they're saying, hey, hey, I know you're going through some hardship, I know, but, but like, I, I just wanna, I wanna help provide moral support in the midst of suffering. That sometimes one of the greatest things that you can do to lead somebody and to stabilize them is just to sit with them and pray for them. And you can refuse the, the tendency to wanna be profound in that moment and just say, hey, I'm here to bring stability. Here's a slice of pizza, here's a hamburger, here's, here's, a, here's a, a sandwich from Arby's. No, don't do that, don't give Arby's. Here's a slice of pizza, all right? And here's a hamburger, here's Chick-fil-A, all right? That's a good thing, all right? And like, you, you stabilize them, okay? The next thing that we see that you can do to care for people is that you ready them. You ready them. Paul said, when I sent Timothy to you, he said that we, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer. That clarity is kindness. That sometimes we think that we're caring for people when we're not sharing the truth with them. I sat with a guy the other day and, and he was laying out a situation and I just looked at him and said, hey man, God can raise the dead and he may make a miracle out of this situation, but more than likely this is gonna end really, really, really bad. And you, and you need to make a hard decision today or it's just gonna get worse the further you delay this hard decision. And that was me trying to care for him, trying to ready him. And that's what it means for you to care for him. You, you establish them, you encourage them, you stabilize them, you ready them, and then number five, you remind them. And you just say, hey, hey, your hardships are normal. This isn't God's curse on your life. This is just a part of life. And Paul, he says that Timothy was sent there and he said, you know, we told you that you're gonna suffer tribulation. He says, just as it happened, and now you know. There's a guy in our ministry and he would be embarrassed that I would even mention his name, but I'm gonna say his name anyway. His name is Mason Grosco. And Mason, he really epitomizes what it looks like to care for people. Mason serves faithfully on a Tuesday night, but one of the things that Mason does, and the example I'll give you where he really epitomizes these five things is that he leads a community group of men. That Mason has been faithfully co-leading this small group where these men come together regularly and they talk about what God's teaching them, they talk about how they're living on mission, and they also talk about where they're struggling and how they're grieving the Holy Spirit. And one of the members in his group had, has epilepsy and he had a seizure and he was hospitalized for quite some time. And so Mason, you know, he could have thought, well, you know, tough luck on that guy. We'll just keep meeting at my house or we'll keep meeting at this place. But Mason, he's a godly leader. He's a biblical leader. And listen, if you're gonna be a great leader, you gotta care for your people. And so Mason, he, he hits up all of his guys and says, hey, we're gonna go to the hospital and we're gonna have group in our buddy's room so that he can still be a part. And he arranged so that everybody would go to this friend's hospital room and establish him and encourage him and stabilize him and to ready him and remind him. And Mason is a great example of what it looks like to be a godly leader. Are you a godly leader? Do you care for people like this? Paul, he goes on in verse five, he says this, 
For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, again, he's saying, just like he said in verse 1, like, I, I couldn't stand it anymore. I love you guys so much. I love you so much. I just, wanna, just, I love you, you know. He says, for this reason, we couldn't, we couldn't endure it any longer. He says, I sent to know your faith. He's like, I needed an update. I, I knew that God started something in y'all, but I had to know. And he says, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Point number four, if you're taking notes, you could write this down, that a great leader, he protects his people. He protects his people. Again, Paul, he repeats himself in order to overstate that he cares for these people at Thessalonica and he cares for how they're doing, especially in their faith. And what he's saying is like, man, I, I love you guys. I don't want something from you necessarily. I've written, I've written this letter. We sent Timothy because we want to make sure that you guys are still running the race that you started when we were with you back in the day. See, great leaders are more interested in how you're doing than what you're doing for them. Great leaders are protective of their people. They want something for their people, not from their people per se. And, and, and Paul, he's saying, I sent Timothy to you so that I could check up on how your faith is going because I don't want you to fall prey to the enemy. I don't know if you're um, new to church or new to this whole faith thing, but, uh, but here's something that the Bible teaches, and I think that you, you can't really argue that this is present in the world. The Bible teaches that there is an enemy that is diabolically opposed to everything that God's trying to accomplish in this world. He goes by a few different names. One of the most common names is Satan. And Satan literally means accuser of God's people. And Satan is this one that Paul's talking about here, the tempter that is seeking to tempt people so that, so that they would lose their faith. And Paul's saying, man, I wanna, I wanna protect you from temptation, robbing you from all that God's trying to do in you. And I think that no one would argue that there's something evil at work in the world. I think no one would argue that there's something flawed in the world. And what the Bible teaches is that that evil and that flaw and the darkness that's present in the world, the one that's pulling all of those strings is this one called Satan. And listen, Satan is trying to undo everything that God is trying to do in your life right now. And the more that you understand what's happening in the battlefield that is your mind, in the battlefield that is your heart, the more you'll be aware so that you can engage in that battle spiritually. <laughs> like, like, think of this. You're here. What did it take for you to get here? Some of y'all, it's been a day. You know what I'm saying? It's been a day, right? And you were like, just, you know, don't judge me. You know, be grateful I'm up in here, right? Others of you, you've been here and like you're, you're locked in and you're listening, but you're really not listening. Like you're checking your your crypto right now, even though everything's shut down, you're checking it. Uh, you're looking on Instagram right now, even though there's no ball games tonight and the Chiefs won last night, you're checking and you're watching replays, even though you watched it last night, you're, you're distracted right now. And listen, that distraction, some of that's ADD. I'm just gonna go ahead, you know, we're not giving Satan credit where he, ain't, where he don't need credit, all right? So that's just you, but then some of that, some of that is some spiritual things that are happening. That there is an enemy that is trying to undo Everything that God is trying to do in your life. And a great leader seeks to protect his people from that. Uh, some of you think, well, well how, do, how, do, how does he tempt me? Some of you know exactly how he tempts you. But let me give you four categories of the way that Satan works. All right, here's four ways that Satan works so that you can understand some of the ways that he's going to tempt you. First of all, he's going to try to blind you. He's going to try to blind you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that the God of this age has blinded people to the truth. He's going to try to blind you. There are some things that maybe you've done in your life where it just blinded you spiritually. There's been seasons in my life where I got involved in certain things where I just, I could not and I, and I, I refused to see the truth. 
and maybe you're here tonight and maybe you're, maybe you're inebriated tonight. And somehow you got here, somebody invited you here, or you're here, and you're like, man, God, he ain't working in my life, and you're just blind to some things spiritually. Some of you are blinded spiritually because there's, there's some pain in your life, and you can't see beyond that pain. And the enemy is at work trying to blind you. Another way that the enemy tempts us is he tries to block you. He tries to block you. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells this story about a man who plants seeds on different types of dirt, and, and he says that these are the different responses to the seed. Some, some seed didn't even grow. Some got, got trampled on. Some did this. Some grew. And, and the seed is meant to represent God's word being sown into the soil of our hearts. And he talks about one particular soil that, where the seed, it, it begins to shoot up quickly, but it has no roots in, uh, underneath the surface. And so when persecution comes, everything that was growing is now dying and taken down. And he's saying that this is how the enemy works in our life, that you're here hearing the word of God tonight. And God is, he, he's, a, he's trying to get this seed of his word into the soil of your heart. But some of you are facing some hardships in life. You're carrying some debt. You have a boss that you just would like them to go on leave for a while. You've got some struggles that you're facing in life, right? And all of that hardship and all of that persecution is the enemy trying to block God's work in your life. And Paul's saying, I want to protect you from this. The enemy will blind you. He'll block you. The enemy will also belittle you. In Revelation 12, 10, it says that he's the, the accuser. That's the word, the Satan. He's the, he's the accuser. He's the deceiver. And he's going to accuse you of certain things. And maybe, maybe you did some things this weekend and that you're not proud of. And you're in a season where you are struggling and you're trying to find victory. And you're ready to give up and you think, man, I am so unworthy. I got news for you. No one's worthy. That if worthy was the credentials for us to be right before God, none of us would make it. If our performance is what got us in the right position with God Almighty, none of us can perform to the ability that we need to. The only thing that makes us worthy, the only thing that gives us the position of righteousness before God Almighty is our faith in the finished work that Jesus has done for us. And so we boast in the fact that he is the one that has done things perfectly and we put our faith in him. And when we do that, we become new creations in Christ Jesus. And that there is therefore now zero condemnation for those who are in Christ and so when the enemy begins to belittle you and think, man, who are you? Are, or who are you? Who, who are you to be here? Don't they know what you've done? You should be covered in shame and guilt and in hiding. You have to stand on the truth of God's word that I am a son of God. I'm a child of God. I'm accepted. I'm loved, as you heard earlier. And I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Don't belittle me, but the enemy, he will belittle you. And Paul's saying, man, I sent Timothy because I didn't want you to be tempted and I, did, I didn't want all of the things that God was doing in your life, I didn't want them to be undone and I didn't want our labor with you to be in vain. The enemy, he'll blind you, he'll block you, he'll belittle you and then finally, four ways that the enemy will tempt you, he'll betray you, he'll betray you. John eight forty four says this, that, that Satan is the, the father of lies. That's all he does, he lies. Here's one of the most pervasive lies that you and I are believing right now. That there's life in that. There's life in that. Whatever that is. There's life in pornography. There's life in overdrinking. There's life in overeating. 
There's life in that show. There's life in that workplace. There's life in that car. There's life, there's life, there's life, there's satisfaction there. And the enemy is lying to all of us, trying to convince us to put all of our hope in a basket that's gonna be burned up in the end. And he's trying to betray you. He's trying to say, see, got them. They thought that there was life over there. Got another one. And many of you are trophies on the wall of the enemy's basement because he's poached you out of the race that God had you on. And a good leader tries to protect you, not control you, not want something from you, but want something for you. But the enemy's trying to tempt you and he's trying to undo all that God's trying to do in your life. See, a good leader's gonna ask you heart questions or, or hard questions, however you wanna see that. Uh, pastor Phil, the lead pastor here at Abundant Life, man, he's one of the best leaders I know. And uh, many, many of you know him at a distance. I had the privilege of knowing him up close. And one of the things that he does that's so critical in my life is that he will sit with me consistently and regularly and he'll ask me hard questions. And like, if you don't know Pastor Phil, like he used to be a SWAT cop and he never lost like that look, you know, like that police officer look, you know? And, um, and it's a gaze that's like looking in your soul, you know? And so like, you, like, like I'm always like, don't look right. Whatever the, the way is that would, it's like you're lying, you know, when you look left or look right, you know, like, uh, <clears throat> I mean, uh, you know, like, and he'll ask me questions like, is there any threat to your marriage right now? Is there any woman that's a threat to your marriage? And I'm like, uh, I don't think so, you know. And is there, is there anything that you're doing that is inconsistent with God's character? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, I said this the other day. I shouldn't have said that. Why is that good for me? Because just because I'm up here with a mic on my face, just because I'm up here with a Bible in my hand, doesn't mean the tempter is trying to tempt me and take me out. And if I don't have, if I'm not submitted to good leaders that are asking me hard questions, I'm gonna fool myself to think, I got this. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna burn up in the, in the long run, or I'm gonna fizzle out in the long run. And a good leader protects his people, asks hard questions. And you need to be that person in someone's life, and you need to have that person in your life, lest the work of God in your life be in vain. Paul, he goes on in verse six, he says this, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all of our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Point number five, if you're taking notes, you want to be a godly leader, a biblical leader, man, you've got to celebrate your people. A good leader celebrates his people. Point number five, a good leader celebrates his people. We see that Paul's like, man, we, we sent Timothy to you. He came back and he told us, man, y'all are knocking it out of the park, man. Way to go. You know, and Paul, you just see like he's so fired up and, and he's just so excited because he, he's like, man, y'all's faith is invigorating my faith. You know what one of the most rewarding things is about my job? One of the thing that just fires me up and keeps me coming back for more is when I see you guys living on, your, on faith, man, living on, living on mission and living for the kingdom of God. It's like, it's like fuel, man, you know? Like when you are living out your faith, I'm like, that fires me up to live out my faith too, you know? 
And like, could we just make like this mutual agreement that we'll both just run the race with reckless abandon and we'll live on mission for the kingdom and the glory of God. And when you win, I celebrate you. And when I win, you celebrate me. And we celebrate and we glory in God and his work in one another's lives. And the thing that fires me up is seeing you fired up for the glory of God. I mean, my mission is to see you live on mission. Uh, last week, we celebrated um, several young adults who completed this thing that we call leadership training. And when somebody raises their hand, they say, man, I want to lead at Paradigm. What we say is, okay, great. We're going to put you through a two-month-long training where you're going to learn how to have spiritual conversations. You're going to learn how to be an excellent host. You're going to learn how to, how to read God's word and how to sustain yourself spiritually. And so they go through this two-month-long training where they show up early to make, uh, to make that a priority, and then they begin to lead on Tuesday night and to serve all the people that come here. And last week we gathered and, and we celebrated. People shared what God taught them. And we said, man, let's go. I want to celebrate you. And that's what we should do when we see people living on mission. We should say, man, that fires me up. And you see Paul saying this. He's like, man, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. He says, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. And a great leader, he celebrates his people. Because what gets celebrated gets replicated. And I applaud you, men and women of God, who are making hard decisions to follow Jesus and you keep living on mission because your faith stirs my faith. Paul, he goes on in verse nine, he says this, for what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Point number six, if you're taking notes, a great leader is grateful for his people. A great leader is grateful for his people. Paul, he's like continuing to celebrate these people and he's doing that. He's kind of moving from celebration to just sheer gratitude. Uh, this, this phrase, render to God for you. He says here, like, for, for what thanks can we render to God for you? It's actually one word in the Greek. And it literally means like we, we, we are trying to express the impossibility of repaying the Lord for all the divine work that has been happening in your life and it's causing us to rejoice. He's like, man, we cannot thank God enough for what he's doing in your life. And he's, I just love this. He says, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God. Paul's saying, man, I cannot give God enough thanks for you. See, great leaders are grateful for their people. When was the last time you thanked God for the people that he's put in your life to lead? I think sometimes it's easy to, um, to get into like a, a gripe session. You ever done this before? You know, you get around somebody like, oh my gosh, you know, like my people, you know, you're like, oh, let me tell you about my people, you know, and, and like, oh my gosh, my roommates. You're like, well, what about my roommates? And your roommates sound so much better than mine, you know, and oh my gosh, my boyfriend. And let me tell you, you know, your boyfriend bash or your girlfriend bash or whatever. Y'all don't judge me like y'all ain't never done this, all right? Y'all look at me all pious like, we don't know what you're talking about, you know? You know, you know how it is. It's easy, right? It's easy to get in the ditch of bitterness, just complain. What, what if we made a commitment to be grateful for the people that God's put in our life? If you wrote God a thank you letter today, would any of the people that you get to lead be mentioned in that thank you note? When you say, God, I thank you so much, do the people that you do life with, do their names fall out of your mouth next? I've faithfully written in a journal for about 20 years now. And if you were to read my journal entries day in and day out, you would see this, thank you, Jesus, for. And you would see things like, thank you, Jesus, for Chelsea, my wife. Thank you, Jesus, for Paradigm. 
Thank you, Jesus, for this person who came to Christ or this person who I'm getting to disciple. Thank you, Jesus, and are the people that you get to do life with, are you grateful for those people? Now, I've complained enough for all of us, I promise you, all right? I've complained about people I had to leave, so I'm not, I'm not perfect up here, but I'm trying to progress in these things and trying to be grateful for the people that I get to lead. And I'm just echoing the heart of Paul. For what thanks can we render to God for you? We, we don't have enough thanks. We're so filled with joy. And he goes on in verse 10, and he says this, that night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Point number seven, if you're taking notes, and finally, if you want to be a great godly leader, man, a great and godly leader, they pray for their people. you got to pray for your people. A great leader prays for his people, point number seven. Paul's saying, man, we've been praying for y'all night and day. Like, you know, I like to think I'm a man of prayer, but I ain't there yet, y'all. Like, when I look at this list, I'm like, man, I got some work to do. I wouldn't put myself in the category of Pauline leadership yet. That there are many things, when I look at this, I'm like, man, I I don't pray for people like I should. I don't love people like I should. I don't celebrate people like I should. But I want these things evident in my life and my leadership and increasing. And Paul's saying, man, we've been praying for you. And he says, we've been praying that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking. Now, I think sometimes we'll see that word perfect in the Bible and we'll think, well, like Paul's saying, I want to get there so that you can be perfect. Uh, Do I have to be perfect? And listen, listen, you can't be perfect. And when the Bible uses the word perfect or perfect, it's it's this uh, Greek word that literally means mature or grow. So Paul's saying, man, I want to come to you guys and I'm praying that, that God would grow you that he would mature you, and I want to be there, and I want to see that. I want to have a front row seat to God growing you into his likeness. And Paul's just saying, man, I, I want to pray that God would work in your life because great leaders want to grow people. Now, the fuel behind Paul's leadership, no doubt, was the love of Jesus. And if you don't know Paul very well or know his story, I mentioned earlier, but his life was radically changed by Jesus. And I believe that Paul was born a natural leader, but then God changed his heart And the gospel moved Paul from being a persecutor to a preacher, to a church planner. That when Paul had an encounter with the living God, when he understood that Jesus lived the life that he could not live, when he understood that Jesus died on a cross for his sins and then rose from the grave and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, Paul is saying, when I understood who Jesus was, it changed my heart and I became the leader that I was created to be. And you and I will never be the man or the woman that God created us to be until our life has been radically changed by Jesus. Are you a good leader? Are you a godly leader? And tonight we've talked about seven things that should be evident and increasing in a leader's life. I wanna pray for every leader that's here tonight. If you're a leader, I just want you to stand up right now. If you're a leader, go ahead and stand up. If you're a leader, don't be bashful. Go ahead and stand up if you're a leader. Good. This was a little bit of a trick question. Everyone's a leader in some capacity tonight. Why don't everybody stand up? Everybody stand up. I defined leadership before we got started. <laughs> I said, man, if you brought yourself in here, you're a leader. And I think sometimes we think that leader is a category, it's a title, it's a position. 
But the God of the universe, he has bestowed influence upon every one of your lives. And if you're here just simply with yourself, then ask yourself, how am I leading me? And if you're here and you have other areas of leadership, maybe you're on a team, maybe, maybe you have a, a decent following on Instagram, more than seven, you know, and <laughs> then you have influence, all right? You're a leader. And I want to pray that God would give you his heart for the people that you may have the opportunity to lead. Because here's the reality, you're only becoming more of who you are today. And if your life is not impacted by the love of Jesus Christ, then you'll never be the leader that he died for you to be. And if you don't make a decision to start leading who you have around you today, even if that's just you, then you won't turn on leadership someday. And you'll do the moral equivalent of hiring the Christian Wrestling Federation. And you don't want to do that. Let me pray for you gentlemen and you ladies. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for every man and woman that's underneath the sound of my voice. God, I, I, I just pray that there would be a spirit of, of openness, a, a spirit of embracing tonight. God, when I ask every leader to stand up, you know, some people were hesitant. I think oftentimes we'll, we'll think, well, sure, surely I, I, I'm not a leader, not me. He's not talking about me. We've got to pray that we would rise up, that we would take hold of the things that you want to give to us, that we would put away childish things and we'll start being men and women of God. And God, I pray that you would stir up something inside of the hearts of the men and women here, that they would go out into the world and they would be a leadership generation. They would be a generation that runs to the chaos, that seeks to bring light where there's darkness, that seeks to bring peace where there's chaos, that seeks to bring healing where there's tragedy. And God, I pray that you would allow men and women to be impacted profoundly tonight, that you would help us all to make a mutual commitment that we're gonna love people, that we're gonna sacrifice for people, that we're gonna care for people, that we're gonna protect people, that we're gonna celebrate people, be grateful for people, and that we're gonna pray for our people. And you would help us to be men and women who are godly and biblical leaders for your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen.